we're going to enter into Peter's message to those that were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And after Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, speaks out this message, people are cut to the quick, is what the passage is going to say. They're cut to the quick in the sense, not because Peter was such, you know, just this handsome, powerful guy, or that his, his message was so w- well constructed, because the reality is that his message would have been spontaneous. Now, I'd been thinking about things for a long time, but Peter didn't know that Pentecost was going to break out. It came unexpectedly. So he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, which means that the words that he spoke in that moment, they were cut to the quick because the Holy Spirit all of a sudden is being poured out on this group of people in Jerusalem. And when they say, what must we do? Now that you've explained what's going on here, what must we do? The word Peter uses, if we were were to back up and just like literally translate the word, he would have said, convert. We're familiar with the word repent, but I'm going to demonstrate, I'm going to illustrate, I'm going to show you that there's, there's something more going on. It's not, the, it's not the word repentance. So once again, what we've done in Christianity, we've taken something that's really, really broad and big and like astounding, and we've reduced it down to this one little common denominator that we can easily understand. It's not going to be easy to get a hold of conversion, what that means and what, what Peter meant by that, but that's what he means. And so this story, the little video, you know, sometimes we can have really strange ideas about conversion, as strange as converting a terrier into a cat or a parrot or a goldfish or Harry giving a tuck to an Airedale and whatever the frogs were. I don't know what that's about. But truly, you know, if, if all we do concerning conversion is do external modifications, a terrier remains a terrier. Or if all we do is put a label, a different label, all we've done is label things, but we haven't gotten to the heart of what God is communicating to mankind and the idea of, commun- of, of conversion. Conversion is something that God does. Conversion is not something that Harry does in the back room for us. It's not a human work. It's something that God does. So the the end of the message, I'll come back to the message, is this. Cut to the quick. Those who were listening asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? Peter said, convert, turn to God, be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our master God invites. That would include us. That day, in that moment... About 3,000 took Peter at his word. 
about 3,000 responded to the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them. About 3,000 responded to an empowered word to an ordinary man. They were baptized. They signed up and they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, the life together, the common meal, and prayers. Good morning, Jerry. The Greek word in the New Testament for what we say repent, convert, is metanoeo. And the, the New Testament, the use that Peter would, the way he would have used that word would have come out of Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke, the speech of Jesus, that would have been the teaching of Jesus, and then primitive Palestinian Christianity. So what we, we want to go back, what, what, how was that word being used back then? It's, it doesn't matter how we use it now. What did it mean back there? Hence, the only apt rendering of this word is to convert or conversion. Metanoeo, and then the noun that accompanies it, are forms in which the New Testament gives new expression to the ancient concept of religious and moral conversion. At the portal of the New Testament, at the very beginning of the New Testament, we thus find a concept of conversion which transcends Judaism. We're not repeating what's going on in, in Judaism. Something grander, better, all more encompassing is, is beginning to happen. Renews the ultimate insights of the prophetic piety of the Old Testament. But, you remember in the Old Testament is so much, hey, you've wandered away from God, now turn back and go to God. That's what it means by prophetic piety. Turn to God. Come back to God. But something is happening that's bigger than that. With, because it's, there's this new eschatological certainty. That means when Jesus says the kingdom is here, what he's bringing, he's bringing the end into the present. And because we're at the threshold of that, convert. So there needs, something needs to happen in response to that. Now John the Baptist, there's a couple of interesting quotes about how he worked this out in his message John advances what John advances in the ancient prophetic summons for conversion. So he's advancing what you find is similar to what you find in the Old Testament. But the summons to conversion is more categorical. It is like it's broader, it's deeper, it's higher, it's not quite the same. Then it was on the lips of any prophet, for it stands under the urgency of the eschatological revelation of God. So again, when, 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 when John the Baptist says, convert because the kingdom is here so near, that it's, that, it's that, that, that future being brought into the present that's saying, man, there's an urgency about it. You want to do something because something big is really happening and you don't want to miss out on it. The meaning is that the, complete, that the complete change of a person's nature for the coming eon is God's work. Now, you've got to underscore that. God's work in baptism. So God is working. God is working from the inside out. This is not just about clean up your act. 
This is about God is intervening in history and he's beginning something from the inside out and it's being symbolized in this baptism that John is inviting people to. Through the eschatological sacrament of John's baptism, God fashions for himself, again, notice that, God fashions for himself a community of the converted who are given a place in the coming salvation. So God is calling a people that are committing to what God is doing. God is bringing something of the future into the present and people are responding. And John is saying, be baptized so that you enter into that salvation that is here. Interestingly, with Jesus, and this is too little for you to read, but I'm actually reading what I'm put up there on the screen. This, is, this, I think, is fascinating. Jesus does not merely repeat the call of John the Baptist. Well, wait a minute. He says the exact same thing. He does use the same words, but he attaches new meaning as you keep going through the way he teaches about that call, that summons. He modifies and transcends it by making conversion a fundamental requirement which necessarily follows from the present reality of the eschatological kingdom, Basileia, in his own person. Simple way to say that, the king is here. When the king is here, the kingdom is here. What you anticipated was going to happen in the future is now happening now. And so it's time to convert. The coming of the kingdom, coming of the Basileia demands, listen to this, final and unconditional decision on humans' part. you got to make a choice. And when you make your choice, it is a final, unconditional. God said in the conditions, you don't have a choice here. Unconditional condition. You follow is what's happening. It demands a radical conversion a transformation of nature, a definitive turning from evil, a resolute turning to God in total obedience. Notice that. Notice the weight of those things. Conversion to Jesus is more than a break with the old nature in light of the threat of eschatological judgment. What jumped off the page for me? So much of what I've heard in my evangelical world is turn or burn. You know, make your decision for Jesus because you don't want to face judgment. There's something bigger than that happening here. Conversion embraces the whole life of the person who was claimed by the divine kingship. It carries with it the founding of a new personal relation of person to God. And then this last, for all of its... Pitiless severity, the message of Jesus does not drive us to the torture of penitential works or to despair. The message of Jesus awakens joyous obedience for a life according to God's will. You catch that? We're not supposed to, as we follow Jesus, just walk around, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let, me do, let, me, let me make us, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's inviting us into this joyous, we, we now know what God wants. 
And we have the ability to do it because God's doing something within us and it's working its way out. We are a new people. Oh, this is awesome. So when you come to Peter preaching at Pentecost, according to Acts, the heart of the apostolic mission is the message of conversion. Not repentance, conversion. So let's try this. I'm going to read Peter's message. It takes about a minute. But you know, when he spoke these words, at the end of it, people said, in light of this, what must we do? So my prayer has been, you know, Holy Spirit, you're still the same Holy Spirit you were when Peter spoke these words. You know, would you empower this moment for us so that while I read these words and we hear these words read, Holy Spirit, would you do something within us? And the, and the end result would be, what must we do? In light of this, what must we do? So would you like to stand? Holy Spirit, we are grateful for the the Bible. We're grateful that we get to read again and again what you have to say to us. And we also recognize that you're not in the Bible. You, You are out of the Bible, and you can empower these words. So I just would ask that in this moment, that you'd make this a moment of empowerment. So that as the word is read, it'd be empowered by you. As the word is heard, there'd be an empowerment there. And that we would have a sense of what you did in history on this day. And it would be similar to what you want to do in our lives this morning. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my Spirit on those who serve me, men and women both. And they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billowing smoke. The sun turning black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives. The day, tremendously important and marvelous. Whoever calls out for God to help them, he will help Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you, the miracles, the wonders, the signs that God did through him are common knowledge. This Jesus, following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. 
and you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. David said it all. I saw God before me all for all time. Nothing can shake me. He's right by my side. I'm glad from the inside out, ecstatic. I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. I know you'll never dump me in Hades. I'll never even smell the stench of death. You've got my feet on the life path and my face shining sun joy all around. Dear friends, let me be completely frank with you. Our ancestor David is dead and buried. His tomb is in plain sight today. But being also a prophet and knowing that God had solemnly sworn that a descendant of the world would rule his kingdom, seeing far ahead, he talked of the resurrection of the Messiah. No trip to Hades, no stench of death. This Jesus, God raised him up. And every one of us here is a witness to it. Then, raised to the heights at the right hand of God and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out the Spirit he had just received. That is what you see today. That is what you hear. David himself did not ascend to heaven. He said, God said to my master, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a stool for resting your feet. All Israel, all mankind, everyone around the planet know this. There's no longer room for doubt. God made him, Jesus, Master and Messiah. This Jesus that you killed on the cross. Have a seat. And the Holy Spirit, having empowered that word, and the Holy Spirit being poured out on that crowd gathered, that crowd said, what must we do? In light of what you have just said, in light of what we have just heard, in light of the illumination, I mean, we just got it. We just got the message. What must we do? And the word that came out of Peter's mouth in the context of where he was and when he was was the word convert. Convert. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so your sins are forgiven. And in this moment, receive the gift. You've just seen the Holy Spirit. You heard the Holy Spirit like a, a mighty rushing wind. You just saw the Holy Spirit fill this place and these people. You just saw the Holy Spirit empower these people to declare the wonders of God in your languages. So now you receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's being poured out from heaven, from Jesus. 
This promise is targeted to you and to your children and also to all who are far away. Every Gentile on the planet, this promise is coming to as well. So the appeal that Peter is making is the same appeal that Jesus made and it's the appeal that John made in light of the kingdom that has come and is coming. See, when when Peter was speaking this message, they didn't miss the point that when you say Messiah, you're talking about the anointed one. You're talking about the king. When you talk about a descendant of David taking up his rule, you're talking about a king. What we're talking about is the hope of Israel that there'd be a king on the throne of David, and here he is, it's Jesus. So when you have a king, guess what you have? Kingdom. The kingdom is hid. And then when you, did you notice, you know, um, you're, until your enemies are put in, that's a, that, what, that's, a, that's a royal psalm. See, they didn't miss the point. Oh my goodness. The king has come. And this is how we treated him. And yet now he's, he's saying he wants to pour out his spirit on, even though we did that. Well, what, what must we do? Convert transcends the conversion piety of Judaism. They're not, as Jews, again, remember, they're, they're, they're devout Jews in Jerusalem observing one of the three pilgrimages, the pilgrimage of Pentecost. And Peter is saying, we're not, we're not going back to the conversion piety of Judaism. Something different is happening here. So it's more than the feelings of remorse. It's more than the gestures of sorrow. It's more than doing works of penance. It's more than self-mortification. I'm not asking you to do those things. This is what I'm asking. The conversion that I'm talking about, when I say convert, what I mean by that is there is a final and unconditional decision you must make right now. This king demands something radical. A transformation of nature which we cannot do ourselves. We must throw ourselves at the mercy of God and say, unless you change me from the inside out, I'll never be any different. But once I invite you to change me, you begin to transform me from the inside out. And that's what you're demanding of me. A definitive turning from evil. A resolute turning to God in total obedience. I mean, how do you say to a king, I'll do that, but I'm not going to do that. What king on earth would ever allow any of us to do that? If you got a king... You say, yes, sir. Yes, your majesty. Oh, I don't really want to do that, but yes, I'll do that. Total obedience is being required of anyone that's pledging allegiance to this king. This knocked my socks off. When Peter is saying convert, he's saying, folks, this is once for all. 
Once you make this decision, there's no turning back. You burn your bridges. You want to follow Jesus? You want to enter his kingdom? There's no going back. That got Josephine upset. This decision affects your whole person. Everything we are. First and basically, the center of our personal life. And then logically, our conduct at all times, in all situations, all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions. This is an unconditional turning to God, an unconditional turning from all that is against God. Again, remember, if you put your hand to the plow, well, let me go bury my father. No. You go, if you want to go bury your father, go bury your father. But if you're going to follow me, follow me now. There's no conditions here. I say no conditions. Convert means a final and unconditional decision. It demands radical conversion, a transformation of nature, a definitive turning from evil, a resolute turning to God in total obedience. The whole proclamation of Jesus with its categorical demands for the sake of the kingdom is a proclamation of conversion. Now, I don't know if that kind of stuff rocks your world, but it sure rocks my world. Because I've been following Jesus as an evangelical for 40 years. And nobody's been talking about this much. It's like... Well, you know, let's get in, let's get in easy. I mean, just, just confess your sins, be remorseful. We'll start there. But then, you know, like, let's wait 40 years, and then you'll understand that Jesus is the king of your life, and that he demands everything that we are. So that's how we've allowed... You know, you wonder why we haven't made many disciples? I'm really wondering if we haven't really told people up front what is being demanded of them. And therefore, we've kind of yawned our way into relationship with Jesus as if it really wasn't something really, really amazing, absolutely spectacular. So I wonder if we can like maybe if this can kind of get a hold of us, maybe we could kind of like start over with a, like a new group of people. And so I want to, like over the next month or so, I just want us to end our time of teaching just in a way of living this out. 
We're just going to kind of go step by step by step. And what I want to invite you to do today is I want, us, I want us to stand up, and then I want us to go somewhere in the room. There's lots of empty chairs, and if you're in a, if you're in a chair with a, you know, there's somebody not by you, David, you can stay where you are. Jerry, same with you. But we, we all want to take a place where we're in a chair and we have an empty chair next to us. Okay, so if we, let's go there, and then I'll explain to you what I'd like us to do this morning. If, we, if we're going to walk out of Acts into life, if we're going to really put what we're learning into practice, I think the thing that is the most... Maybe it's just the most powerful thing about Acts is that you have a community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell other people about Jesus. The message I just read today, 3,000 people said yes. Sign me up. And see, they had a better understanding about what that word convert. They, under, they were understanding, whoa, we get it, and we're signing up today. We're, we are baptized today, and we're signing up. So the thing that I would hope for our community to walk away with is there's, there's all kinds of people around us that haven't heard the story that has become very familiar to us. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're just, that empty chair is, is meant to be filled someday by a person. And what I want us to do this morning is just simply to ask the Holy Spirit, who is, who is the person in my life that needs to be befriended by me? God works through us most of the time. Not you know, when we lag behind, He does it all Himself. He's not going to give up on His on His people. But many, many times He's going to work through us. He worked through Peter on this day. So, Holy Spirit, who is the person in my life that you would have me befriend? And then, in befriending that person, if you make friends with me, guess what? The day is going to come that I'm going to tell you about my other best friend, Jesus. It's just really natural. So could we just take this moment and just ask, Holy Spirit, give me an impression, give me a name, give me a picture. Who is that person right now that you want me to befriend? So let's take a moment and see what we receive, okay? I want to encourage you to uh, remember that name or that face. Write that down somewhere because the next over the next month we're going to keep revisiting uh, friendship with this person and just see how over the course of some time maybe God would allow us not only to make a friend but to introduce that friend to Jesus. In our morning together, this, this is a big topic. It may have raised some questions, so I'm going to hang out Anybody wants to visit, ask some questions, that's great. We want to spend some more time visiting with each other, finishing the coffee, praying for each other, let's do that. But thank you for our time together, and we'll see you later.